Welcome to the Garden Path Podcast, live lessons and conversations from the garden. Hello, I'm your host, Misty Little, and this is Season 5, Episode 2. This is a special episode because it is the first episode that I've recorded in person with my guest. Well, that's other than my family, of course. Today's guests are Don and Deborah Young, founders of Friends of Tandy Hills Natural Area. Tandy Hills Natural Area is a 160-acre indigenous ruminant prairie situated in East Fort Worth along I-30, just east of downtown Fort Worth. My parents grew up very near Tandy Hills, but it wasn't until I returned home from living in Florida that I even knew what the park really consisted of. We had come back from hiking on the Appalachian Trail, and my husband and I still needed to keep our legs moving after 2,180 miles of hiking, and my dad suggested hiking in Tandy Hills. Once there, we found it to be a hidden trove of wonderful native plants that I didn't realize even existed in this urban setting. From milkweed to trout lilies and beyond, Tandy Hills captured my heart. Not long after, I started looking through the Friends of Tandy Hills website, learning what I could of the native plants found blooming there. Soon after, I signed up for Don's Prairie Notes, a monthly email newsletter showcasing what is happening on the prairie that he so luckily gets to live across the street from. Those monthly newsletters are always filled with the goings-on of the prairie, from the blooms, the sunsets and sunrises, to the vandalism and the arsons. If you zoom down I-30 east of Fort Worth and past Beach Street, just south of the highway, that's where you'll find Tandy Hills. While I was primarily interviewing Don for this episode, his wife Deborah had a lot of involvement in the Friends of Tandy Hills group throughout the years, and she chimes in several times in the background with tidbits of information, so the audio isn't as strong for her, but you can easily understand what she's trying to say. There is a soothing wind chime in the background as well that really makes this a peaceful episode to listen to. If you ever find yourself in Fort Worth, do plan a visit to Tandy Hills and to the Fort Worth Nature Center that is mentioned by Don several times. Both are Fort Worth treasures and showcase a bit more about the area than you may imagine. Over the years, I've come to find out about other smaller pocket prairies that dot the DFW area, and it just goes to show how much our landscapes and urban areas have changed in the last 100 to 150 years. I'll have show notes for the episode at thegardenpathpodcast.com if you'd like to sign up for the Prairie Notes newsletter and find out about how to visit Tandy Hills Natural Area. You can also find the podcast on Instagram at thegardenpathpodcast or email me at thegardenpathpodcast at gmail.com. Okay, enjoy the episode. All right, well, like I said, thank you for uh, letting me come to your house and uh, meet you and talk to you guys. Um, you guys have done a lot for Tandy Hills, and uh, I've always been inspired by well, your monthly emails, for one, and just learning... I, I don't get to visit Tandy Hills enough, so learning what's going on by those emails just makes me enjoy it from afar. So thank you guys. You're welcome. Um, maybe if you want to introduce yourself, who you are, um, you know, what is the Tandy Hills natural area, and kind of a brief history of the area, and then we'll kind of go from there. Okay. Well, I'm Don Young, and along with my wife, Deborah Young, we founded Tandy Hills, Friends of Tandy Hills, in about 2004. And um, of course, we had been living here, or and knew about Tandy Hills <clears throat> for a long time. But in 2004, the pivotal event that happened was the threat of fracking at Tandy Hills, and um, I knew enough about that from reading Greenpeace journals over the years that that wasn't a good idea. Yeah, that was before the word fracking existed, but gas drilling was uh, the concern. And, Fort Worth happened to be ground zero worldwide for the first time uh, fracking had been done in an urban area mm-hmm. on a large scale. So when we heard about that, we founded the Friends of Tandy Hills to try to push back to make sure that didn't actually happen here. 
uh, it did happen all over Fort Worth, Texas, and <clears throat> all over North Texas in the Barnett Shell, they call it. Um, but we managed to raise a lot of awareness about the importance of Tandy Hills, the beauty of Tandy Hills. And so people started coming here and discovering it, and uh, so there hasn't been any fracking in the park. Um, maybe a half a mile away there has been, but that's far enough away that uh, the park itself is still in relatively pristine condition. So there was actually like, they were going to build a rig and put it in the park then? Well, we didn't know at the okay. time. <clears throat> I don't think anyone knew, but they were here mapping the area, scouting it out for whatever they could. Right. And this was in the very early days here before anyone in Fort Worth knew anything about this. Right. Uh, it was all kind of underground with the uh, the drilling industry and City of Fort Worth officials uh, were aware of it, but um, no one really knew what was coming down. Yeah. Uh, so we we jumped ahead and made sure there was awareness about the park. Right. So in 2006, we started a festival called Prairie Fest mm -hmm. at the park, and it was a Extensibly, uh, uh, music, arts, uh, environmental groups were here, and a few politicians gave speeches. But the real reason we were having it was to raise awareness about the potential fracking that could happen here. And so the festival was in our front yard that first year because we had an ad adversarial relationship with the city at that oh. time. The city of Fort Worth owns Tandy Hills. Right. So... Um, <clears throat> It was a two-day event, very relatively successful, and then the next year in 2007, we moved into the park, and the thing took off. Uh, people were crazy about uh, yeah. the festival. It was uh, kind of a throwback to an earlier time of uh, nature awareness, and that was just building at that time, mm -hmm. uh, and it built a lot more over the years. Anyway, we did Prairie Fest for 10 years and decided to retire it because uh, we wanted to retire <laughs> and there weren't a lot of people willing to take it up but it it served its purpose over a 10-year period and by the time it was over in 2015 we had had uh, thousands of people here uh, that had become aware of Tandy Hills. Yeah I think I attended the one in 2011 and yeah it was really cool and there was people doing plein air paintings and all sorts of uh, cool booths and I really enjoyed it and I wish I got to attend more but I didn't realize you'd phase it out or I mean I may have realized it and not thought about it but so that's kind of a bummer nobody else took it out mm -hmm. just nobody as passionate as you guys or I don't know we think it was probably one of the first environmental festivals in this area yeah there may have been little mini events here and there but it was the first full-blown event that we invited all the environmental groups mm -hmm. in Texas and beyond really to come here and set up booths. That was another side story about the event is we wanted to get all the environmental groups here so they could talk amongst each other and uh, become more aware of the threats to places like Tandy Hills. And that worked out pretty well. Uh, a lot of these groups got to know each other and started interacting more and um, were able to finally, eventually, get on board with the anti-fracking movement, mm -hmm. which really began at Tandy Hill. Okay. That's where it began uh, for the whole country, right. was right here, because it started in Fort Worth, and we were the first to bring attention to it at the at the festival. Okay. So. You had, tell her how you had trouble getting um, the Sierra Club, and... Uh, That's another story, yeah. 
I'll take stories. <laughs> Any stories? <laughs> well, I was kind of a lone ranger when this began because no one knew about this. No one understood about natural gas drilling and how, how what an impact it would have mm -hmm. on the air, uh, the water, mm -hmm. uh, the quality of life, all those things. Um, I was fortunate enough to have been reading about this and as I mentioned, uh, uh, Sierra Club, uh, not Sierra Club, but uh, Greenpeace mm -hmm. newsletters where they had actually written about this story back in the 80s that the uh, gas drilling was taking place somewhere probably in Alaska or who knows where. And so I was aware enough of it to know that this could be devastating. Yeah. And we can't have that in the middle of a city. You've got to be kidding me. So we fought real hard against it. And I reached out to the Sierra Club and Downwinders at, Downwinders at Risk. It's a local environmental group. All the others. They rebuffed us. Even they, the Democratic... Uh, committee here in Fort Worth trying to get some some help on this side to say we got to start now because these guys are ready for action they're mm -hmm. gonna be drilling this whole city if we don't do something and they all rebuffed me they, even the Sierra Club. Did they think it wasn't gonna happen or they didn't think the they risk didn't take was it seriously okay. and, and they also they bought into the bridge fuel argument about gas yes. natural gas it's not a the Sierra Club did. It was just a complete propaganda campaign and Don and me were the and a, a handful of acquaintances that felt the same way that we do would attend the task the city task force meetings which ironically was made up of all industries developers mm -hmm. and gas developers and you know people that wanted to bankroll these people there was, was no a... environmentalist <laughs> and there was one person that was a citizen and it was just like the deal had already been done behind the scenes and it was just a formality to have these task force meetings because there was no one there to offer arguments except for us. Right. And we were we were in the task force meeting, we were told to be quiet, <laughs> that we were out of line. It was terrible. Is there, anyway, the Sierra Club um, did an about face on that not long after that. In fact, you know, Fort Worth being ground zero for this, they had all these big gas drilling conventions here where all the different companies involved could come here and learn about this new technology. And the Sierra Club and their Washington headquarters was going to send their top guy here to give a speech at this convention about the glory of gas drilling and this bridge fuel to the future and all this nonsense. I called him in Washington and I said, if you come here, we're going to have a massive protest and we're going to make the Sierra Club look like the devil, basically. <laughs> and they backed off. They decided not to attend. And just a few months after that, the head of the Sierra Club, uh, they had a change of leadership and the new guy did an about face on fracking and said, we made a mistake. It was a big public outcry mm -hmm. at the time and they did a complete reversal right. on their public stance on it and now they are they are leading the charge against fracking. Well, yeah, just like I saw a headline of the day just saying all these different scientific uh, studies are showing just how bad fracking actually is and it seems mm. like crazy <clears throat> that in a 10 to 15 year period how mm -hmm. it's gone. Yeah, it all happened so fast that people didn't really have time to react. We had minimal success. At least there's no drilling in the public parks and a few other little things, but mostly the city is fully drilled. Yeah. <clears throat> and there's a new gas well. Yeah. A new gas well went up recently, just a couple of miles from here. 
Yeah, I, I was living in Florida at the time all this was going down. So when I came back and I saw like there's there's one not far from my parents' house and then they were, you know, obviously I think there's one not too far from my grandfather's house that they were doing the, uh, the fracking exploratory wells. And um, yeah, it was kind of like crazy to see because you don't think of uh, all that happening in your town. Or, you know. It happens out in somewhere yeah, in West right, Texas. Right. Yeah. Oh, and in the early days, it was like the Wild West. They weren't, people were thinking that it was mailbox money, and they were selling their property rights to... Oh, right, yeah. For like $100, some people. Wow. Because they, you know, they didn't, they didn't fully understand what was going on, and they didn't want to understand. They liked that quick money, and these guys would come up to the door and start shirts and start jeans and cowboy hats and look like good old boys yeah they're kind of people and we were the fringe and we didn't we were misinformed and they did everything they could to minimize us and make themselves look like one of them right and so it it went over like it was just like <laughs> right it was so easy it was almost <clears throat> funny to watch <laughs> so that was this fracking so business sad. it was the uh, kind of the the birth, birth of this organization, but then we kind of moved on from that um, as far as activism and protesting. The advice of one of our top members was to keep that a separate organization and keep Friends of Tandy Hills focused on nature mm -hmm. and the, what goes on at Tandy Hills, the good stuff in other words. And what's so, in, what invites people in, they're yeah. not afraid to... I think people get afraid to take on the other stuff because it's mm -hmm. they don't understand it fully or it's too controversial and it was very controversial and he was also thinking you have a lot of potential donors who may may not like fracking but they may be turned off by your activism right so we separated the two groups okay and it uh, worked yeah it was good advice the gas drilling became uh fw can do for citizens against neighborhood drilling ordinance operations and uh, Friends of Tandy Hills. Okay. And eventually we made peace with the city and we became a partner with, uh, they have this partnership agreement with some friends groups around town mm -hmm. where they work together to help take care of the park. So we got that, we got our nonprofit status. And then uh, I started writing the newsletter on a monthly basis instead of just whenever I felt like it in the past. <laughs> Another advice from our friend and um, and then we just started focusing on restoration of Tandy Hills. Um, <clears throat> the park had been a dumping ground for decades. Mm -hmm. It had been a place where motorcyclists came and just ran wild over the hills and destroyed a lot of the native plants. So we, we started working with the city to restore the prairie and um, restore the park and make it more inviting for people to come here. So maybe back up a little bit. When was the park founded by the city, and I guess why was it like highlighted to begin with? I mean, why was it highlighted? Yeah, why was it why was this track especially highlighted to create a park? Do you mm. know? Well, that's a that's a good story actually. The park land was sold to the city in 1960, and there were three or four landowners that owned all this 160 acres approximately, and they sold it to the city. Um, at the time, the city, the city councilman uh, did not like the idea. They thought they paid too much. 
you know, the Parks Department bought it for the city. Mm -hmm. And when the councilman found out about it, they were pissed. And they tried to undo the deal, give the money back, sell the property off. Yeah. There was a different way of thinking back then. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's a miracle that it's still here, really, for a number of reasons. But that's a big one. In, early, in the early days, in 1960, there was all this fight about getting rid of it. And the reason was they thought at the time, you can't make a park over there. It's too hilly. It's too big. Uh, there's all these problems associated with it. No one really was aware at that time that this place is an amazing resource. It's a survivor of what this whole city used to look like. The, uh, the hills made it especially interesting and diverse because of the different altitudes. You have uh, different flowers and plants that grow in places because of the hills and the different elevation. So that was a big plus. And it wasn't until the late 70s, maybe 80s, that a fellow with the Parks Department did an assessment and an inventory of the plants here uh, at that time, and it, he was amazed by it. He worked for the Fort Worth Nature Center, which is, was, had already been protected pretty well. And he made his announcement to the city, and people started to become a little more aware. Um, anyway, it became, the city put in a playground down here on this three or four acres, but that left all this other vast acreage just to, it was pretty much left alone, uh, unattended, uh, uncared for in a, in a sense, so that people were able to come here and dump whatever they, right. you know, roofing shingles and broken glass, and our organization started having an annual event where we cleaned up all that mess. The first few years, we hauled out literally tons of shingles and stuff that had been dumped over the years. So when you first first started coming as a teenager, what was, I mean, was it pretty trashy when you came or? In places, but it's, there's a few places where people tend to drive in and dump their stuff. But by far the park was very beautiful. Everyone would agree to that uh, year round. In the fall it has the native grasses, which are extremely beautiful, uh, tall, tall grasses like Indian grass and blue stem and many others and then of course in the spring the fellow with the parks department who did the first assessment said that he thought this place Tandy Hills had the very best wildflowers uh, selection anywhere in North Texas hmm. this is it the very best right here right across the street from our yeah. house and it it really looks like it in fact this meadow over here to the east I always say it's the most valuable real estate in Fort Worth because there's hundreds of plant species there. And when you come in the spring, it's just a solid mass of color, just like pictures you see of Holland yeah. and the tulips and all that. Only it's all native plants. And they've survived all this stuff that's happened here over the years. And that's the amazing thing about prairies is they can survive any kind of weather, drought or cold. Uh, even people yeah. dumping here over the years. It's still, it comes back every year. It's amazing to see it right. transform. So when you guys formed Friends of Tandy Hills, how, how did, I guess, how did the awareness change? How's it changed in the last 15 years from, what's the amount of people coming to visit in 2004 versus in 2019? In 2004, it was it was quieter here, less people. Um, an amazing thing that happened about three years ago, there was a photographer out here, 
a professional photographer who, um, I think he's the same guy who had classes for nature photographers. Anyway, he somehow, I'm not still not sure how it happened, but he made uh, on his, there is a internet website for photographers. Mm -hmm. um, and he put something out there about Tandy Hills and how cool it was. And it wasn't a year later, hundreds of photographers started coming in. <laughs> but not nature photographers, Just wedding photographers, right. family photographers, high school graduation photographers, baby photographers. So the number of people coming here now, just for that reason alone, is skyrocketing. Right. It's not uncommon, most of the, especially in the spring, to see cars parked all the way down for a three-block area wow. out here taking pictures, posing. In fact, it's been kind of a problem in some ways because a lot of these people aren't aware of how special it is, mm -hmm. and they'll tromp around through the wildflowers, and we have them bring couches out here. Some guy drove his pickup in the middle well, of I the I saw field. that year on your, your prey notes, the pickup guy, and I was like, oh my God, I can't believe that happened. <laughs> so we had to do a lot of more awareness raising, this time not of fracking, but of photographers. Right. But also just regular people coming here, scientists from all over the state come here. We had one of the first bio blitzes in Texas at Tandy Hills in 2016. That was the first year after Prairie Fest ended, and it was highly successful. And uh, part of that was associated with this new thing called iNaturalist, mm -hmm. which is a website where people all over the world post pictures and data on uh, plants of any yeah. kind, native, non-native. So we started the Tandy Hills Project on the iNaturalist page, and it's now up to about 12, 1300 native species or species that are found here and it keeps growing daily uh, or weekly I should say um, thanks to scientists that come out here and document things they see so that's been a big boon for Tandy Hills uh, if we ever had to defend Tandy Hills in some way we have this data to back up say look, look what's here right. this is amazing in fact I'm, al I'm already Irritated with the city that they haven't done more to protect him. Well, that's what I was going to ask is, does the city have, and they may not have the resources, but any kind of ranger program where there, is anybody coming out here on a, even a weekly basis just to well, handle citations in case they saw something, you know, is there anything like no. that? Well, no. Well, these Bobby's offered to, you know, one person in the parks department here and Bobby said, call him if you see anything and his wife will come out there I think mm -hmm. yeah Bobby is works for the city and the, there's a number of problems with Tandy Hills is a natural area there's only a few of those in Fort Worth that's a separate distinction from a regular park with a playground or right. a soccer field or a baseball field um, a natural area there's no vehicles allowed of any kind no horses allowed um, of course no uh, bikes, <laughs> no bicycles, motorcycles, things like that. Um, but because the parks department is set up in such a way that they got, they they claim they don't have the financial resources to really take care of Tandy Hills like a real natural area, mm -hmm. like they do at the Nature Center, for right, example, right. which is the big park, fifteen hundred acres, mm -hmm. I think it is, uh, on the northwest side of town. <clears throat> By all rights, Tandy Hills should have that same kind of yeah. protection. Um, 
but it doesn't and it's in the middle of a low-income neighborhood so we get all kinds of problems here with homeless people and people who aren't aware of what it is how special it is so we are part of our work as an organization is to help raise awareness and lobby the city to start doing more that's been the biggest frustration yeah. that I have over the years with getting the city to come forward um, but the parks, so we are now a lot um, mixed in with all the regular parks. And all the city really does is they mow them regularly. And of course, Tandy Hills, the only thing they mow is the playground area. Mm -hmm. It leaves about 158 acres that is left Not to its rich. own. <clears throat> and that's okay, except we have a major problem with invasive species uh, that needs addressing. And... So they don't give any funding to removing Nandina or, or too much uh, juniper or anything like that? There's too much privet, too much juniper. There's a uh, few other species, some grasses now. Or some of these, like King Ranch Blue Stem right. is a bad thing that has gotten infiltrated over here. But for the most part, the, the plants here are pretty well at, do pretty well at protecting themselves. For example, the grasses are so thick, the native grasses, that unless something unusual happens, an invasive species has trouble getting established because it's such a thick patch of native species. Um, that's not without exception. There are a few places where there's been damage done for one reason or another that a, a few of the na uh, non-natives get established. So a lot of that needs addressing. Um, and we're hoping the city would start would put us in with the actual natural areas like the nature center and do a, have a staff member come here regularly doing something mm -hmm. removing native species <clears throat> hiring a company to do that it's a big job because it's such a big area and the privet is so well established and the uh, the cedar uh, which is it's easier to get rid of because when you cut it, it doesn't come back. Right. But there's so much of it that it keeps coming back regularly. And, of course, the problem with that is if you get all these woody species to take over, even if they're native, the number of species is reduced because oh, they're right. shaded out. Yeah. So this beautiful meadow over here that has maybe 100 species of wildflowers, if it were to become a forest, you know, you're down to about 20 species mm -hmm. or less because the trees have shaded out all that stuff. And that's one of the, the main concerns that needs to be uh, taken care of here. And the city could do a lot more to help. But the city has done a few things. Um, they say that if we have too much trouble with the photographers, <clears throat> they will send out someone to remind them that, first of all, it's illegal to do that, to make money off a of city park. And second of all, um, you're damaging the native plants here which actually there's not even an ordinance in the book about that in the city law books that's another thing that I think needs addressing that people who come out here and damage this area should have some kind of uh, uh, some repercussions comeuppance for that yeah. in some way instead now there's nothing on the books you can get away with murder here pretty much <laughs> Um, well, a couple couple ways to go there. First is, okay, so what is Friends of Tandy Hills? I know you guys have had um, work days in invasive species removal. How often do you guys do that? And I guess it's all just funded from donations uh, <clears throat> for being a member of the Friends of Tandy Hills. 
Well, we have a, a membership, uh, a pretty large membership base um, that raises money. We usually push that, instead of beating people over the head year-round like some groups do, I tend to focus on three months of the year that I do that, and then I stop bugging people about it. Um, we have a few people who donate money monthly. Uh, then we get a few grants, relatively small grants, mainly for our education programs that come through once a year. Um, we put a chunk of our money in a CD uh, in case any of the land around Tandy Hills becomes available for sale at an affordable price. We could expand the acreage. There's a few acres out there that around 50 acres up across the up on the hill where the towers are mm -hmm. that could be acquired um, it was actually originally owned by Chesapeake Gas Company oh. and uh, but they went out of business and it yeah. sold off we would like to acquire that acreage and make it part of Tandy Hills um, and then the friends of Tandy Hills uh, we have a number of events the main one right now is the New Year's Day hike, which is pretty popular. The Manly Man Wild Women hike, which tends to lure 80 to 100 people every New Year's Day. So we hike for about an hour the entire perimeter of the park. Okay. Which is, um, and then we used to do uh, Kids on the Prairie, which was one of our major events for about eight years. We did that, and it was a very in-depth, comprehensive uh project uh, that we did in cooperation with the Fort Worth ISD and a number of Martin North Texas master naturalists would participate but it was kind of like Prairie Fest it was such a huge event it required so many volunteers to do it right that after about seven or eight years we kind of backed away from it because and doing a more reduced uh, education programs now whereas if a school from Dallas say calls and say could you take our kids on a tour we still do that, okay. but in the past, <clears throat> we fed them lunch. Oh, wow. We entertained them with musicians. <laughs> we had a all these master master naturalists leading the hikes. It was it was a beautiful thing for about seven years, but now there's there's just not enough volunteers willing to to do the job these days. Um, yeah, and the master naturalists that we had ten years ago started getting older, and it was. For whatever reason, we couldn't get new recruits that were wanted to work with children. Yeah. For some reason, people don't like to work with children. <laughs> so weird. <laughs> it was just we were running into a, and you can't do something like that without, because we like to have like one master naturalist with, with no more than ten kids, and then the teacher and mm -hmm. chaperone, and that made it really a good learning experience. But when most of the master natural, the new master naturalists coming up, which another good thing is they would have background checks too to make sure we didn't get any weirdos. But most of them said, "I don't like working with children," and it was kind of that's disappointing. And the children's ages were fourth graders, which is you it's know, a good age. Yeah, it's a good age, but it's also challenging for some people. But we had we had such a good crew for the longest time. But they were, they started getting elderly. Mm -hmm. Well, it's not only that, but they just kind of got burned out, and we needed new recruits. Basically, this whole organization is volunteer yeah. run. My wife and I, in fact, Deborah, pretty much ran the Kids on the Prairie program. With and it's a lot of work to do. And if you're trying to run your own business like we do, you know, after a number of years, you get 
you know, we need new people to come yeah. on. And that's really falls to me to find more people that can start taking care of the organization. So the organization still exists. Um, we have uh, occasional uh, volunteer days of working to do to remove invasive species. It's called the Prairie Posse. Uh, we haven't done it lately because of the summer, the heat, but in the winter we'll do more of that. Okay. Uh, so we have volunteers come out and do that. But ultimately, it's such a big place and the, it needs so much attention that it needs a, need to hire a company yeah. to do the job. It's really the, the city, Fort Worth needs to step up a little bit here. <laughs> yeah, I think they do. And eventually I'm going to be having a conversation with them about that. Well, I've been doing it for years. Yeah. I've been begging for years. But I keep getting rebuffed, and I think it's the city's growing so fast. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's supposed to hit a million in the next couple of years, I think. Mm. And it's growing so fast, they keep expanding and building more parks. So the parks department says, oh, we don't have any money. We don't have the, the staff to do what you need us to do. Yeah. So <clears throat> uh, I think it just takes a director of the parks department who says, hey, Tandy Hills isn't like another park. We no. need to step up here and, and do more. This place could be so much better than it is. So I don't know what the future is going to hold, but um, we hope it stays as a natural area and doesn't become um, too well managed right. so that it's, you know, like a regular park. No, of course. No, I'm just trying to think of how, I mean, I mean I've been at the Fourth Nature Center many times, just thinking of how it could work and function like that or adapt it to its own way i mean you don't i don't think we necessarily want to build a fence around it so you have to go in one direction but at the same time it seems like it needs a little more than what it has now mm -hmm. i don't know what, i don't know what the solution is to that but don't get me wrong the place is fine like it is yeah. I and mean, you can walk over there i hear from people all the time that say i just found tandy hills i can't believe how amazing it is people who actually go over there and walk around start to understand what what we've understood for years it's really an amazing place mm -hmm. and the hills make it very interesting to move around in what we really need is just occasional maintenance here and there um a staff person with the city that would at least devote you know one few days a month or even one day a month would make a huge difference and then spend money uh to hire crews to come out and you know pick an area and Working get rid out. of all this stuff that needs removing right. to help the natives survive better. Right. Um, you know, prairies also need fire, which is a beautiful thing, and they've been doing that out at the Fort Worth Nature Center for a few years. Um, we've talked about that at Tandy Hills. There's always a lot of pushback on that, too, because it's right in the middle of the city. The neighbors aren't going to like it, and the wind, <laughs> everybody worries about their property burning up. But So we haven't gotten very far with that yet however last year some yeah. arsonists mm -hmm. began wandering around tandy hills and every week for a couple of months there was a new fire mm -hmm. and it's everywhere that happened it's an amazing resurgence of the native species where everything came back way better than it was before so yeah it's, it's, really it's, a, it's an amazing thing that happens with fire the fire does <clears throat> yeah i was shocked yeah, I bet if this place burned every five or ten years, it would be amazing. <laughs> amazing, yeah. yes. Get rid of More amazing. Yeah. 
But I don't want to make it sound like Tandy Hills isn't fine no, the way it is. Right, right. It's very nice, but to get, there's encroachment. Right. You know, the uh, the trees are kind of coming up the hill. The mm -hmm. privet is kind of coming up the hill. Down in the bottom where there's more water, right. um, you've got thick trees, and we like that. You know, there's some nice forests down yeah. there that are natural forests. But the uh, privet and other invasive species that are planted in the neighborhood Basically, are being. Yeah seeded by birds dropping stuff in and then of course every time it rains all these seeds flow downhill into tandy hills so the bottom is right it's it's a nice place to hang out but there's also a lot of real thick privet down there in places and, but um, it has its own charms aside from the prairie right the bottomlands you mentioned earlier um i guess the repercussions for for you know destroying the habitats or that sort of thing is there any like poaching issues poaching yeah like plant poaching Does anybody plant know? poaching not very much okay. no no uh, occasionally uh, that's one of the problems with these photographers uh, people come out here and start picking flowers mm -hmm. for their hold a bouquet yeah. with their sweetie pie while they're getting their picture taken but we had good results this year with stopping that. We had signs posted everywhere. And I was out there uh, with my police hat on just about every evening this spring having interactions with some of them. But one afternoon I saw a woman who was out there. I don't know if she was with the, getting her picture taken or just what. But she had yanked up a yucca plant and was just dragging it behind her. And uh, so we've had some minor issues like okay. that. But nothing that serious okay um, you know if people are out there digging up trout lilies or something so <laughs> no that's that's a concern but it hasn't happened yet okay that's good you know it's despite having a lot more interest in nature in some ways there's also a lot of movement away from nature so there aren't in some ways as many people coming here as there were say in the 70s who wanted to connect up yeah, with nature I think again? There's a disconnect with the general public. I mean, they'll come here to have their photograph, but they have no interest in the in the plants or growing them. Well, that's, that's what I was really wondering if they actually come, if they just stop at that first prairie and they don't go down the hill, they don't actually go and hike. How much is what's the percentage of people actually getting beyond that? I think you're right. I think they stop at the up at that hill. What do you? Yeah. Mean? Well, most people come here because they want to have downtown in mm -hmm. the background. Yeah. And. Uh, and in, in fact, most of the photographers pose their people in front of privet and other stuff, <laughs> stuff that we're trying to pull right. up and get rid of. It's kind of funny, but um, yeah, there is a huge disconnect. We get uh, groups of hikers that read Dawn's Prairie Notes, and they're iNaturalist people mm -hmm. and citizen science type people. They they're not scientists, but they have an interest in scientists. That's not. That's maybe what do you say? A handful of people that yeah. are like that. A handful, but um, <laughs> so no, we haven't had a major poaching issue, but I, Not at all. it could happen. The trout lilies are hard to find, yeah, and we try to keep it that way. Yeah. So, you know, I was gonna say like in the 70s when there was a lot more interest in nature, people might come out here and dig stuff up, but I think but, it was more of a common thing to do back then anyway. With nobody mm -hmm. really thought about the repercussions of that, you know. Yeah. Nowadays, yeah. also native plants are much easier to find. You yeah, can buy them right. at a store instead of coming out here with a pickaxe and trying to dig through this yeah. limestone. Right. <laughs> you know, it's amazing all these plants growing about that much dirt. Mm -hmm. It's almost solid rock mm -hmm. everywhere. 
So it's not an easy thing to dig up a plant. In fact, good luck digging up. Candy Hills is full of limestones and fossils, and it has like a little bit of dirt up at the top, and then the, the dirt kind of changes into a, like a sandy down at the bottom of the hills. But it's amazing to see things growing there, and the roots that some of the grasses have mm -hmm. go how, how far? 150 feet? 100 feet? Very into deep. the rock. Yeah. yeah. And it's just incredible. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that it's in the future that it will probably be better than a forest for carbon sequestering because the roots oh, go right. down so deep and they're so resilient to the cold, the drought, and the heat. They don't die like some forests do because of bugs or the heat or mm -hmm. too much water. The prairie is very resilient and I think that's probably going to be its, you know, one of the key things for climate, restoring the climate back. Yeah, that's actually another good selling point with the city for taking better care of Tandy Hills is the native prairie is, is a, a, uh, sink. It's yeah. a good carbon right. sink and as the city grows and there's more and more pollution, it's a natural, and I mean it's helping the city in lots of ways. Mm -hmm. One thing I learned when I was reading a lot about the wildflowers is not only is the milkweed the pollinator plant for the monarch, monarch. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but milkweed will take in uh, poisons and pollution and take it from the air, the water, and the soil and <clears> render <throat> it inert. I did not even know that. It's <laughs> like a it's like a cleaning, recycling, right. natural way of doing it. It was incredible. I read, read that on Ladybird Wildflower oh, website. Okay. I'll check that website. And I was blown away by the milkweed being able to turn pollutants into inert compounds. I mean, it's incredible. It's kind of like a how swamps will filter out yeah. poisons and pollution. Mm -hmm. and, uh, we have a lot of milkweed at Tandy. Yeah, Hills. kind of. <laughs> yeah. You've hiked over there. Yeah, you know. I've hiked over there. Um, I, I don't seem to get the good seasons because every time I see your pictures, I'm like, why aren't I there? I missed that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I've definitely hiked over there and uh, seen some good stuff. What are, what, what are y'all's favorite plants over there? Do y'all have anything? That's, your... That's really hard to say. <laughs> Every month I have a new favorite. Um, I like the trident's grass. Okay. Trident's grass and side oats. I love the mm -hmm. side oats look such a grass. What about you, Don? you have a favorite? Uh, 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 Trout all of them. All of them. Well, right now the liatris, yeah. known as I think it's gay feather, mm -hmm. yeah. is coming on. At least it was before the droughts or the the rain stopped. Yeah. So each month I kind of focus on whatever's happening over there in prairie notes. And this past month it was liatris was just starting up. And um, I like two leaf senna, which is one of the mm -hmm. most amazing plants over there, and uh, green thread. I like them because they're so resilient and they last so long. I've seen green thread early in the, before spring and in the fall. So it's like six months out of the year you can find it blooming over there, which is kind of amazing. Because it's such a delicate looking thing, but it's very sturdy. Yeah, and the skull cap has a pretty blue flower. Oh yeah, skull caps are nice. It's still blooming too. Yeah. And I really like, um, of course, the trout lily is kind of the one of the iconic species here trout lilies and then we have this very rare 
uh, Great Plains Ladies Tresses Orchid, oh, which yeah. is a very rare plant that mm -hmm. grows at Tandy Hills. And the wild hyacinth? <coughs> the wild hyacinth. Particular oh, the camas is it Camassia? Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. That's, That's probably one of my favorites. And they're growing in kind of secret little coves over there in between some privet patches. You can find these amazing patches of wildflowers. You know, the... Uh, the purple coneflowers growing mm -hmm. five, six feet tall this past year. This year was really good because there was so much rain in the early spring <clears throat> and into the summer. So everything benefited. And so I expect the grasses this fall to be pretty amazing too right. if we get a little bit more rain. Yeah. Actually, I was on just checking on the drought index because we're having the same problem. I'm thinking, we've got to be in a drought. we got to be in a drought because um, I live on a pond and it's slowly going down and... I'm noticing I'm having to water my my uh, fruit trees and but no most of the drought stuff still out west they haven't put most of uh, at least East Texas and the southeast Houston area is not in a drought uh, quite yet but I think if we have another week or two then they're gonna throw us there because we had the same problem just we had a lot of rain and then stop stop mm -hmm. <laughs> that's what happened so I don't want to <clears throat> I don't want to ask for rain because I know what happens when we asked for rain, we get a hurricane, so. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take some. Yeah, that's right. This time of year, it's hurricane rain. Mm -hmm. so I have too many favorite wildflowers, I think, to pick them. But, um, you know, there's that uh, American basket flower, and then there's the bluebells. Yeah, Texas I was going to say bluebells. the bluebells. I think they're my favorite. <clears throat> they're the most amazing because they look so exotic. Yeah. And they grow in this half inch of dirt. And big, beautiful, mm -hmm. like a bouquet in a flower shop or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and there's one gara. It's a small, smaller gara, and it starts out hot pink in the morning. Is it pink in the morning and goes white? White in the afternoon. Yeah, I think that's beautiful yeah. too. I think it's called kisses or something like that. Hmm. It's a pretty, pretty little wildflower. Um, how often does Candy Hills get used by the neighborhood folks. How often what? Does the, how often does the park get used by the neighborhood folks? <clears throat> um, quite a bit. <clears throat> but uh, Tandy Hills tends to draw people from across the city, probably more than the neighborhood. Um, but there are, there are pockets of people in this neighborhood. As I mentioned, it's a low-income neighborhood. Um, most of the people that live around here are working people who don't have a lot of free time. Um, so we get people come from just about every corner of the city, even Tarrant County, all over Tarrant County come here, probably more than in the neighborhood. Okay. Um, a lot of the neighborhood kids that come here, you know, they want to play soccer or uh, ride their four-wheelers. Yeah. So we have to keep them out as much as we can. Right. But there's a few. Okay. The, the neighborhood is slowly changing, partly due to Prairie Fest and Tandy Hills, and we've been promoting it so much over the years <clears throat> that more and more people are starting to appreciate it and actually wanting to move to this neighborhood. Like uh, my next-door neighbor who built his yeah, house. Uh, it was a vacant lot for many years, and he built a big two-story house over there, and he came here strictly to be close to Tandy Hills. And... Um, then we have some friends down the street a block away, and they lived in TCU in one of the fanciest neighborhoods over there around the stadium, and um, they moved over here to be close to Tandy oh, wow. Hills. 
and also to escape extremely high taxes over there. So there's a lot of advantages of moving, living near the park. Um, and so the neighborhood is changing and there's more appreciation, more use of the park, which is good. Right. And we get the master naturalist coming over here looking, uh, you know, working on the iNaturalist page. Yeah. There's a lot of that going on. Yeah, I, I uh, <clears throat> follow Sam on iNaturalist too. I swear he gets around. So I'm, I'm trying to figure out what exactly his job entails because I swear he's out in a park somewhere around Fort Worth every day taking photos and identifying things. And uh, yeah, you guys have covered Tana Hills really well for that. I guess, how has your um, knowledge changed? I mean, when you started doing this, what did you, were you really interested in knowing all of that stuff or did the, did starting the Friends of Tandy Hills really catapult you into learning all that? <laughs> well, yeah, I was just a kid when I started coming here and I didn't really know anything. <clears throat> I just knew it was a, a quiet place uh, to come hang out uh, when you wanted to be by yourself or, uh, get away from the noise of the city or after a rough day at work or something it's so quiet and peaceful and beautiful so I didn't know anything about it it just it was a, it's a gradual process with me I had such an interest in protecting it and learning more about it that I quizzed all of the uh, people in the nature center who knew about the park and I gradually learned this plant and that plant and now I even know a few Latin names, <laughs> and um, also writing prairie notes every month. It's kind of like doing a term theme every 30 days, writing prairie notes for me. As I do a lot of research, so I've learned a huge amount of important information about uh, plants, mm -hmm. wildlife, uh, anything to do with Tandy Hills uh, from my research I do every month for prairie notes. So for me, even if nobody reads it, I do it for myself, right. and I get a lot of enjoyment out of learning new things about the plants over here, and um, it seems like an endless amount of knowledge every month, I'm, so I look forward to doing that every month, most months. Anyway. Most months, yeah. This time of year when there's nothing happening over <laughs> it's there. It's like, it's crusty and brown, and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have to get creative yeah. to keep, keep people looking at it, but right. there's usually something every month that's... Uh, unusual, interesting, or unexpected. Yeah. No, I definitely get appreciation out of it, and especially, um, I mean, you pull a lot of literary things, too, and quotes from people, and I think that's also inspiring. Do, do you get a lot of people feedback from that? A moderate amount. Okay. If I run into people, I don't get a lot of email, fan mail, so to speak. <laughs> uh, people are so busy. Yeah. But every time I run into someone that I haven't seen in a while, they go, oh, man, I love that prairie notes. And it's always surprising to hear that. Well, I eat it up. Probably helps you to be motivated to keep going. So. Yeah, it does. And uh, it's, But it's a discipline that I've learned, too. When I first started the organization, I would just put out, sometimes I'd put out three a week. Sometimes I'd put out one on every few months. It was erratic and uh, I... I was advised by a close friend that you should do this on a regular basis, once a month. And ever since he told me that, I haven't missed it. I mean, first day of the month, it's out there. Right. And I also have uh, one of our best volunteers, the young woman who does our website. Um, she helps me get that done and uh, gets it published and makes our website look good. And I think we have a really attractive website. 
So when we get a lot of attention on the website. Yeah. There's tons of information there. Yeah, it's definitely it's, changed uh, since I first started looking at the website. You guys had a, a lot of good information on there. So. <clears throat> iPhones help a lot. Yeah. Now we have videos, which were really hard to do a few years yeah. ago on the website. You had to really know what you were doing. Now it's easy as pie right. to create a video, and a lot of people like that. Right. So, right. <clears throat> so I guess... How does someone become a friend of Tandy Hills? What's the membership and, uh, I guess, cost? And do they get anything? What entices them to, to join to be a member? What does it take to get people? Well, I mean, <clears throat> yeah, like, so say someone's listening to this and they're like, hey, I want to I wanna support Friends of Tandy Hills. How much do they have to donate? Can you give a little information on that? Well, <clears throat> the best way is to go to the website and click on that little tab at the top become a friend or become a member and uh, there's various levels um, you can also become a volunteer you can also uh, get prairie notes delivered to your inbox once a month by signing up for that but the membership levels are they start out I think it's 15 or ten dollars actually and uh, you can just pick your level pick your amount and uh, because we're a nonprofit and we're very well managed, all of our money goes into the park. There's no paid. There are no paid volunteers, so all the money is is um, you can count on us to take good care of it and put it to a good cost. Right. Um, well, I guess do you have any final thoughts on Tandy Hills? Where do you hope to see it going in the future? And then, I mean, do you have anybody like eventually? You guys want to? Say we're totally going to retire from Friends of Tandy Hills. Do you have anybody that would take over the reins, or what would happen to that? <clears throat> That's a good question. Um, I think it's my particular passion and persistence and interest that has kept the organization going at all. Um, people are distracted by so many things nowadays. Unless you have a particular passion for this one thing, you know, I don't know what will the city will be taking care of it, at least to the extent that they do right. over the years. Um, I am always looking for new volunteers. <laughs> uh, and I found a few. Most of the key people in our organization now are people that I had a definite connection with. Uh, for instance, Jen Schultes, who's our webmistress. Uh, I saw her walking her dog out here one day ten years ago. and. Yeah. Something about her. I said, she's the one. When she said, oh, I do web design, blah, blah, blah. And I just grabbed her and I said, I, I need you. Yeah. And so, and then we have our bookkeeper who is extremely good at managing the financial side of the organization. Um, so those people are still active and taking care of the basic things that need done. Um, and then Deborah and I lead the New Year's Eve hike, which is really popular. And uh, am I forgetting someone? You're looking at me like I'm forgetting something. Well, I'm thinking all this kind, all of these things kind of happen coincidentally. How this all happened, and <clears throat> we have tried to find people to do certain things, but I'm at the point now where I'm ready to hire someone to help do the the really heavy lifting over there as far as restoration, but. Um, the organization just kind of rolls along. Deborah and I keep it keep it going through the prairie notes, 
and the interest has grown dramatically. Our Facebook page is very popular, and uh, when I put out photos on Facebook throughout the month, the uh, number of likes has yeah. <laughs> really jumped lately. Uh, so that tells me there's a lot of interest. There's also a uh, homeschool organization called the Forest School that comes here once a week throughout the year. And that has drawn a lot more attention. And most of those people are nature lovers more than just here to take right. a picture or get right. something out of it. So that's growing the generations of kids who have an interest in Tandy Hills like I did when I was 17, 18, mm -hmm. when I came here. And I can see that occasionally. Um, that that interest is still going on so it's not just about wedding photographers there's still people that come out here and post their adventure on right. Facebook or elsewhere um, like like I would have done if I had a iPhone in 1970 yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, there's still a huge amount of interest um, it's a it's more of a seasonal thing the springtime and the fall are the two best times the winter the it has its own certain kind of people that like to come in the winter yeah. um, when it's kind of dead over there, but it's still beautiful. Yeah. You can see greater distances in the winter because a lot of the leaves are on the mm -hmm. ground and you can see things that you did, didn't see in the spring or the right. summer. So that has its own charms, so to speak, in the winter. There is the trails grant. We're going to have restoration of all the trails. We, That's a good point. One, uh, <clears throat> Suzanne Tuttle, who retired from the Fort Worth Nature Center and Don uh, applied for and received a grant from the Texas Parks and Wildlife. I forgot to mention that. Okay. So we got our uh, $25,000, almost $30,000. And so part of the money in the CD that we've collected over the years is going to, uh, it's, a, it's called a reimbursable grant mm. where we pay for the cost up front and, and then the we fill out all the forms and then we get reimbursed for all the expenses that we incurred. There's that, and then there's the pavilion, which is an architectural was marble, is beautiful, that is going to be built out by okay. Tandy Hills and Dawn's. I forgot to getting mention those two to, things. Do yeah. I need to say that into the microphone? No, yeah, you can yeah, say it in there. He's okay. getting ready to go after, I mean, it's going to cost, we've never done this before, we've never tried to get this kind of money for changing Right. So. so. I mean, it's, we, pick, it's, it's picking her up, but yeah, if you want to. Is it, is it picking, yeah, it's picking her up, her up but if you want to elaborate anymore, you can. Talk That's about fine. the contest that we had. and Contest? Yeah, the the architect, we worked with the AIA okay. to get a good design, and it was a contest between local architects here in this area. Okay. Yeah, that was in about 2017. We connected up with the American Institute of Architects Fort Worth chapter and suggested that we work with them in getting a shelter design for Tandy Hills. Tandy Hills has no buildings of any kind, but uh, most all parks, in fact, have some kind of shelter for people to come where they have picnics or... Uh, just to get out of the sun or the rain. Um, so we thought, you know, when we looked around at the shelters that are in other parks, they were also bland, and none of them are, uh, appeal to us at all. And 
because we already think Tandy Hills is special, we say, let's have an architect design shelter here. It's never been done in the city before. So we connected with the AIA, and they were very enthusiastic about the project, and they reached out to their membership in Fort Worth. So we had about 30, 40 entries of all original architecture. Some of them were so crazy that they could never be built, mm -hmm. but they were beautiful to look at. And then some of them were just almost just right. So we had this, uh, we call it a contest. It was a, uh, an exhibition, really. And we had some judges look through all the entries, some professional architects from around the state. And they picked one uh, that happened to be extremely modern and extremely different from anything else in Fort Worth, even if it were built as a as a house or privately done, <laughs> right. people would go, wow, what is that? It's, it's an architectural uh, marvel, as Deborah said. It's real unusual. So we are hoping to get that project built uh, soon. Mm -hmm. It's already a little behind schedule. We're looking for a grant of uh, how many million? A couple wow. of million dollars. It's very expensive to build, but it's uh, something that we think we can get a grant for. Okay. And um, so that's coming up on our radar this year. I'll be speaking to the, the potential grant person about that soon. And then as Deborah mentioned, um, we got a trails grant, a trails restoration grant from the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department over a year ago. It's a slow process going through the paperwork to get it actually accomplished, but it's about a $25,000 grant to redo all the trails here. And some of them are in great need of attention. Yeah. There are some trails that are getting more and more uh, eroded because of rain and they're in the wrong place. So we have a professional trails company that would come here and redesign some trails, close some trails and uh, improve other trails. Okay. So that's, two big projects that are on on the screen for next year. Alright, All right. good. Well, hopefully, hopefully you guys are able to find a, that grant for the building. That's going to be probably a, an endeavor. <laughs> a challenge. It really is. I think you it'll happen. Have experience in that kind of stuff. But, <clears throat> the main thing about Tandy Hills is just the wildflowers and the yeah. grasses and they it's free. Anybody can come in right. anytime they want and just enjoy the place. And these days, with such a crazy world we live in, it's a good place to find refuge. And that's really the greatest value, I think, of Tandy Hills, a place to escape from the madness of the world. Mm -hmm. It's There's still nature out there. And it's right in the middle of the city where people live, so you don't have to drive a long distance. Okay. It's right here, and it's big enough to get lost in. Yeah, it's better than, you know, having to go to a state park, like you said, you know, driving an hour outside of town to get somewhere, so. That's true. Yeah. Well, thank you guys so much for. Did I get it all? Yeah, I think you got it all. Um, I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but, um, yeah, thank you guys so much for letting me come over and talk to y'all and pick your brain a little bit. And, I mean, I appreciate everything y'all have done. I know, because I live in Houston now, I don't get to experience it as much, but um, it's, a, it's a treasure that what y'all are doing. And I hope that. You guys will be able to have somebody take it over one day and keep we do too. keep going and <laughs> we do too. Just kind of that thing that worries me the most is that the city's not going to give the attention it needs. So yeah, sometimes I am I don't see myself stopping. You know, Deborah was she got kind of tired of 
Prairie Fest and then Kids on the Prairie. So she's kind of, we haven't found a replacement for her yet. I'm not planning on going anywhere. So I'll, I'll be writing Prairie Notes number 3,000 one of these days. <laughs> ah, good.